first part of this podcast on April 16th, 2015. My name is Julie Bethan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. Today, again, because there's no guest, I am in charge, and you are the guest. And in fact, today's podcast, actually, the topic was your idea. Yes, it was. Just one of many. (laughs) (laughs) But the only one you've accepted. Uh, So... You are getting ready at this time to go film the coming season of Scrapbook Soup. And what I've observed is how many different kinds of things have to get done in order for this week of filming to happen. And I thought a lot of people who uh, enjoy watching Scrapbook Soup might also enjoy knowing some of the background and preparation work that goes into it. And then in the second half of this podcast, after you've finished working, you can come back and tell us how it all went. Okay. So, um, Scrapbook Soup is a TV show, which you can see on PBS. Um, you can also watch it online. You can also buy DVDs of the season if you want. But basically what it is, is it's a, it's a kind of what I would say an old school how-to show. If you remember watching... Bob Ross or um, Sandy Genevieve on Scrapbooking DIY channel or um, any of those kinds of shows, you know, this is this is the idea behind it. So um, we film all 13 episodes for a season in one week. I go to uh, a studio right outside of Cleveland, Ohio to film it with a production company called KS Productions, which is run by a woman named Kathy Still, thus the KS Productions. And um, each of, so it, we have 13 episodes. Each of the 13 episodes contains three to five segments, maybe sometimes, you know, plus an open and a close or something like that. And each of the uh, episodes is about half an hour long. So that's already a lot of balls to juggle. <clears throat> and my job as the host is interesting and has evolved over time. When I first came to Scrapbook Soup, first of all, its name was Scrapbook Memories, and I came on as a guest many years ago, and things sort of evolved. I was a co-host, and now I'm a solo host, um, and my role has also expanded and changed along the way. Now, it's a, the show's on PBS, and so PBS is meant to be very um, non-commercial, purely educational, so we strive to not make the segments which of course are supposed to be educational about scrapbooking and the soup part is meant to be other things meaning art journaling home decor etc etc um we strive to make those things more uh i'm trying to think of a good way to put it but just more educational and less commercial so one of the difficulties and this is certainly in the prep stage one of the things we run into is you, you need to sell the show in order to pay for the nice studio and all the lights and all the nice camera guys who uh, don't want to work in exchange for a pat on the back, but for actual money. Um, We, you know, obviously we need to get people to sponsor the show uh, and use their products on the show. But it's an interesting thing to go to a company and say, we would like to use your products on air, but never mention your company name you know, and it can't be too commercial either. So we just have to sort of use them. And for a lot of companies, that's, that's a hard sell, especially if you can imagine, um, you know, uh, now this is where I happen to disagree because I'm now thinking of 12 things, which is why I'm talking in a weird way, but here's the thing. So I think that when you use project products and love them, it shows even if you're not screaming to the wind about what it is. And I think that no matter how good, like no matter how good a product is, or I shouldn't say no matter how good a product is. If a product is really good, it will show and people will want it. If a product is not good, no matter how much you try to sell it, people will figure it out. I mean, they will figure it out. Um, and so I happen to believe that PBS is a great place for people to see your product, not feel like they're getting a hard sell, but actually be able to see what they can do with it, be inspired and want to use it, you know, but it's harder to get people to understand that. It's also even harder in a funny way, because when we sell to people, we say, listen, it's viewed in almost, I think it's 60 or 70 million homes or something, but you can't see the hits like on a YouTube video. So somebody, I feel like some companies would rather know that there are 10,000 hits on a YouTube video views 
uh, rather than I can't, I don't understand like 60 million people on their TV. Like I don't, it doesn't comprehend kind of. So that's sort of an interesting selling problem. So anyway, so uh, if I may streamline my thoughts and mom, feel free to corral me anytime because I'm pinging around like a ping pong ball. Feel um, free to try. I Okay. Which is, so in the selling phase, which we do a lot at CHA, talking to companies about the show and trying to get them excited, seeing what they have new, um, et cetera. Then once I sort of know who the sponsors of the show are, I start to put together the show grid. And as you can imagine, it's a chart like an Excel spreadsheet. And down one side is the episodes, 1 through 13. And across the top is, you know, the segments and how long they're going to be. This is a three-minute segment. This is a six-minute segment, et cetera. Although Kathy really does the timing more. I sort of guesstimate in what I think it's going to be. And then she's really the boss. I'm just the monkey doing the starting work here. And then I try to theme each of the episodes. So the theme could be really loose, like... Um, this episode's all about stamping. This episode's all about things that are shiny. This episode's, you know, those are some topics for our upcoming season. And so what happens is once I figure out what the sponsor products are, I'll talk, I'll invite the guests, which is a whole process, which I'll talk about in a minute. But once a guest says yes, I'll talk to them and based on what their strengths are. So for instance, Amy Tan is one of the guests that we're having this season and she's a very well-known scrapbooker she has her line of amy tangerine projects uh products rather with um american crafts and you know when i was talking to her about what she could do and she was saying she wanted to use the mink which is a uh, laminator that american crafts sells to do um foiling and i was like you know that's perfect because we can put it in the shiny episode and then i was talking to her about her other projects her other pro projects and she was like well what do you think i'd be good at and i said you know i put you in the family episode because she has this adorable little son named jack and i was like i know you scrapbook about him a lot and i feel like you know doing a family page and talking about how you scrapbook family photos would be a great thing whereas you know uh somebody else like christine drumheller from coco daisy is going to be a guest and i for instance her coco daisy does these planner kits and so immediately we have one episode that's themed about time and i said to her i really want you to do something about the planner craze because it's not something i know a lot about and i bet a lot of our viewers would be fascinated to find out more about this whole planner craze that exists in the whole scrapbooking world right so, uh, I mean, those are just a couple examples of then how I'm trying to fit the guest to the theme of the show, but then also with any sponsor product. So, for instance, Brother is a sponsor with a scan and cut um, and also with sewing machines. So, Christine, who I know does a lot of stitching on her pages, I said, hey, can you do a layout with some stitching using a sewing machine, using a Brother sewing machine? And she, of course, said yes. Whereas somebody who I know doesn't necessarily sew on their pages, I would never ask them to do that. Or May Flom is coming in as a guest. And I know she has a scan and cut, loves her scan and cut, uses it. So she's a natural person for me to say, hey, will you do some scan and cut projects? Because again, I would never want to throw that at somebody who that's not what they do. Because the point of the show for me is to introduce you to some interesting scrapbookers and artists to show you what they do and hope that it inspires you. Because if they're geeked out about their projects, then I, I hope that you will be too you know in fact one of the girls that I brought in is someone who I've never met but who I follow online and I really like her name is Ashley Horton um, and she runs a uh, Etsy shop called the cut shop or cut shoppy I never know how to pronounce s-o-s-h-o-p-p-e is it shoppy or sh I don't know anyway uh, whatever it is it's called I the cut believe shop. it's shoppe oh sorry there you go the cut <laughs> shoppe and uh, now we're starting to sound like a dog, like a Sharpay. Anyway, so she, uh, obviously, because she does cutting custom cutting files, that's what she does, I was like, this is perfect for the scan and cut. And I'm excited, beyond excited to see what she does with it. Now, in terms of inviting guests, it's an interesting thing because I try not to have the same guests year after year because it's really important to me, no matter how fantastic somebody is, to really have a variety of people. Now, there are some people who I just... Uh, can't get away from. I just can't stay away because they do such a good job. And I'll talk a little bit about what doing a good job as a guest is. Um, but so I invite people to come who I think are interesting, who bring a different perspective. And for instance, one of the things they said to my mom when I was thinking of who to invite to the show is I said, you know, my scrapbooking style is very mixed media, very towards art journaling, very like paint, ink, doodling, pens. Like I don't use a lot of traditional supplies. I can, but it's not my natural 
space of existence. So I said, I want to get some scrapbookers who are more in a traditional place or who are a good, you know, counterpoint for what I do. I also wanted to find some people who had, were scrapping a lot of pictures of kids, some people who were not, um, you know, and then again, just different styles. So for instance, we have Joe Rotella coming again. He's a perennial favorite on the scrapbook suit, a soup set. He's our man crafter. And he is doing a bunch of off-the-page projects. Now, Joe tends to work in a color palette that is not mine at all. And I love that because I know that I do not represent all scrapbookers or all crafters or all artists. And I really want that um, diversity so that people can watch the show and say, oh, you know, that's really interesting to me because that project appeals to me. And I don't like Julie's color palette, but I like Joe's so I could change that. Or I like Julie's color palette, but not Joe's, but I can take that technique and move it over, you know. Um, I think that's really important. We also have a good mix of people from all over the country, you know, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so what makes a good guest in my mind? Yes. There are a couple things, obviously. First of all, I do YouTube stalk people because, like, when I haven't ever seen somebody on uh, on camera, I need to sort of figure out how they're going to come through the camera. So I'll look at their YouTube channel to see um, how, you know, do, is there, and now as I say this, I'm stuttering like a moron, but are they flowing? Is it easy? Are they chatty or are they sort of frozen and stiff? And who did not turn off her phone? What a disaster. I believe it's you. I believe it's me. Let's pause for a second because I can't turn this off for some reason. What a disaster. Hold on. You're a terrible guest. I am a terrible guest. I think it's finished ringing. Okay. Um. Anyway, so what, where was I? Going on this with is what the makes worst a good guest and flowing. Oh, so here we go. Let's start again. So what makes a good guest? What an excellent question. Um. So part of what makes a good guest, obviously, is if they're comfortable and easy in front of the camera. So I do visit people's YouTube pages and blogs and stuff to see if they are comfortable in front of the camera, if they're easygoing, and also their style of teaching because you want to you want somebody who is able to quickly teach a complicated idea in a way that somebody can understand rather than someone who has a 12-minute video on a really easy topic because with uh, getting in four, three or four technique segments in a half an hour, you need people to be quick and direct to the point. Because the thing I always tell people is, if it would take you seven minutes to demo by yourself, if you're there with a host who would be me, who's chatty, who has a professional degree in interrupting, you have to calculate that at least half your time is gone, taken up by the host asking questions and poking at you. So really, if it's a seven-minute segment, you're looking at like three and a half to four minutes of you presenting, and the rest of it is me being a monkey. Um, so you have to be super precise in order to get that through. So I look for people who can do that. And then the other thing, of course, while I'm blog stalking people is I'm interested in how recently did you post? Because if you're not posting on, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a blog. It could be Instagram. It could be whatever. But if you're not out there posting and getting your stuff out there, it's it doesn't mean that you're not talented or you're not great, but you don't make a great guess because part of what makes the show work is when you're excited and you tweet and talk about the show and you show your projects and people are interested in what you do and all that kind of stuff. That's part of what makes you a great guest. Do you have to have 10,000 followers? No, of course you don't. You, you can have 100 followers. It's just I need to see that you're actively putting yourself out there because that makes it easier for me to pin your projects, to talk about you, to promote you rather than this kind of ghost person that nobody can find. Um, when you actually, the other thing, like the reason I have Maybach constantly and I love and adore her is because she shows up prepared. What does that mean? That means that you have your projects and your step outs completely and totally prepared before you get to the studio. So nobody even has to think about it. Tell people so that what, means, tell people what a step out is. Okay. So a step out is if, let's say I'm making a birdhouse the first step is to cut the wood. The second step is to assemble the pieces. The third step is to paint it. And the fourth step is to stick some rhinestones on it. 
So I actually need to have, you're not going to sit and watch me cut a pile of wood. Instead, I'm going to show you how to cut one piece so you understand the idea. Then I will have an already cut piece of wood. That's one step out. Then you don't want to watch me glue all the wood together. So I'm going to show you one piece, how I would glue it together. Then I'm going to have the already glued together piece done. That's step out two. Then you're not going to want to watch me paint the whole thing, right? So you can already see where this is going. So I'm going to show, start to show you how to paint it. Then I'm going to have one that's already painted for you to see. And then again, you don't want to watch me put on a thousand rhinestones. So I'm going to put on a couple rhinestones and maybe tell you some tricks about rhinestones. And then I'm going to have one that's already done. Now in a YouTube video, I might fast forward that so I don't have to have step outs. But what you're seeing is you're jumping between stuff so you don't have to watch me in real time for two hours. So the same idea on TV, except that it's the Julia Child trick of I pull one out of the oven that's already cooked, except it's, you know, four step outs to do this. So for a scrapbook page, you can imagine you could have six or eight step outs where you're making the same thing sort of over and over at different stages of doneness. All right. So, so May comes May comes with her step outs ready to go. She knows exactly how to break down a project, like what do I need to see and what can I understand just by pointing it out. So what I mean is, if you're going to tell me to put the photo in the center and put a flower next to it, I don't actually need to see you do that. You can point to the finished one and you can say, so then I glued my photo on and put a flower next to it. But if you're going to say to me, I inked the edges, I do need to see that because that's a little step beyond my understanding, perhaps. So that's so she comes prepared with that stuff. So I know she's ready to go and there aren't any questions. I have had guests come to the studio who... No matter how you sort of tell them they don't have their step outs ready or they're not the right step outs, they either have, you know, it's a better sin, by the way, to have too many step outs. Too many step outs is awesome because that means you did a lot of extra work and I can help you and edit it out when you show up. Um, too few is really tough because then we've got to sort of, uh, it's tough because it makes it confusing for the viewer. My goal is this I want people to be able to watch Scrapbook Soup and make a project. I want to empower them, I want to excite them. Um, I never want to make them feel confused or intimidated. And too few step outs, I think, makes people feel both confused and intimidated by something. Did anyone ever is, show up with no step outs? Has that ever happened? Yes, particularly when we have sometimes a sponsoring company will send a project which I present. And oftentimes, because they're not presenting it. They don't really think through the teaching of it. So I will get the parts of a project and I'll be like, whoa, I don't know how you jumped. We jumped from A to F. We need B, C, D, E, you know, in here. So that's usually where it most often happens that you don't have the necessary step outs. People, I mean, I'm very good, I think, about telling people you need to have step outs, you need to do whatever. It's just everybody's idea of time is different. And the number one thing that new guests always say to me, besides I'm nervous, is they say, uh, wow, that was so fast. And it's true. You think seven minutes is a long time. But then when I get talking and we get doing and you're trying to do it, it's like boom and it's gone. Also explain what during the process of presenting and doing your project, all the things that are happening with in your ear, the producers talking, yeah. the cameras. So I will talk about all of that. So I just want to mention one other thing about being a good guest before I forget. There's two other things actually. One is that we do like for there to be instructions on the website so people can download instructions for all their projects. And so one of the things that makes May a great guest again is that she sends her PDF instructions ahead of herself so that they're there, they're ready, they're going to hit the website right away. We don't have to worry about it. There are pictures of the project done, which is great. The other thing, of course, that makes a great guest is when you are just uh, really enjoying yourself and doing something you love. When you're not frustrated with it and you're not like dumbing it down, but you're doing stuff you actually do and sharing the love. Anyway, so let me just talk about what's going on because this is, this is where it also gets complicated. So I always tell guests, chill out, relax. I'm there to help you. And anytime you're nervous, you know, I'm there for you. So what we do is, so I have an IFB in my ear, which is where I can hear Kathy, the producer, talking to me from the booth. And then I am talking to the guest and we're doing the project. So usually what happens is they'll go through the project with me and I will often, and we'll go through it with Kathy too. And then the three of us will usually rework 
it a little bit. We'll say, oh, you know what? Let's jump here to here. And then let's skip this step. Let's do this and that. Let's look at these finished projects here, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So that it's more, um, so that it works better. So that's sort of a little improv in the moment. So sometimes the guest is nervous because it's not exactly what they practiced. Then, uh, the, then Kathy will tell me in my ear when we're about halfway through the segment, in which case I tap the guest on the back. So if you've ever noticed me touching the guest, um, it's not just because I like to feel scrapbookers. It's also because that's just a cue to them of what's happening. So they know their halfway point. And then usually when we have 30 seconds left, I'll touch them on again a second time just to say, listen, we're, you know, we're wrapping. Now at the same time, Kathy may be saying in my ear stuff like, we can't see this. So then I'll have to find a way to politely take it from the guest and hold it in a way or to shove a corner down or to do something like that. Or they'll say, you know, we missed X. So then I'll have to ask a stupid question in order to get back. And of course, the goal is for you never to realize that someone is talking in my ear and that I'm trying to fix problems or deal with what's coming up. So Talk about the different cameras and the camera angles too. Well, so, I mean, listen, this show, Scrapbook Soup is a lot easier than, like, HSN. HSN is a three-ring circus in which you're constantly looking at different cameras and things are insane and there are monitors. Scrapbook Soup is actually very chill. Um, there's only one camera, really, that I ever look into, so that makes it really easy to know where to look. And the guest is always told not to worry about the cameras or look into them at all, which also makes it super easy. Um, but it is usually a three camera setup with uh, one center camera and one on each side. Oh, plus there's an overhead camera. So I guess right. it's actually four. Um, and the overhead camera, we have to do everything upside down, which it doesn't sound hard, but I spend a lot of time on the segments. You may notice if you look carefully, I'm busy flipping people's projects upside down because your natural tendency, of course, is to turn it towards yourself. Um, and so people just forget. The other thing, of course, is because, again, PBS is non-commercial, you can't say product names. So you can't say, like, Sakura is a sponsor of the show. I love their products, products, and I use them all the time. But I can't say I'm using a Sakura Pigma Micron. I just have to say, you know, I'm using a permanent black pen. But people who come and aren't used to it will – because you're just so used to saying it, you'll say, hey, I'm using Archival Ink. But Archival Ink is a brand name from Ranger. So you have to say, I'm using a permanent ink. And it's just, it's tough. It's tough to remember to say that because it comes out of your mouth before you even think about it. You know, scan and cut comes out of my mouth, but I need to say it's an electronic cutter. Okay. So that's all the information on how the sausage is made. What else can well, I tell you? No, but then what happens, the guest is finished with the segment, then what happens to that piece of film next? So this is, I have nothing to do with any of this at this point. So no, but we're talking Kathy about shoots, the process of how the show ends up on your computer or your TV. Yeah. So Kathy, basically there's a, so Kathy's a producer. There's also, there's a director in the booth. His name is Mike. He's a really great guy. Um, and he's been there. I think he and Kathy have worked together for, for close to forever. Um, and there's a sound engineer in the booth and there's, um, an actual video editor in the booth at the time who's going through stuff. Then of course on the floor, there's a show director plus the uh, floor director plus the cameraman, et cetera. And so there are a lot of people actively working to get the film and then they kind, I'm not going to say they edit it at the time. They don't actually edit it at the time, but they look sort of through it to make sure they got everything that they needed, that they can piece together things, you know what I mean? et cetera, et cetera, from everything they have. And then, of course, if there are any problems, they may say, you know, we need to look at this again or we need to pick up some B-roll. B-roll is just um, you're not talking. It's just a visual. So, like, let's say you move too quickly from one thing to another and the camera guy couldn't follow it. So they need to pick up some B-roll of that movement and then they'll just put your voice on top of it. Okay. So then uh... – what about what goes on the website about the show? So, um, so basically each guest is asked to prepare a PDF of instructions for each project so that you can download. And that's where you can get the product name if you need to know something. You can also get written instructions so you don't really have to pay attention. You can also download the show or buy a DVD. Um, and then, of course, you know, when Kathy puts the whole show together, that editing, she adds the music, the titles, all that kind of stuff. But 
you know, uh, filming scrapbook of any kind. I mean, filming scrapbooks too, filming HSN, whatever. There's always weird, unforeseen things that happen. Last year, I remember when we were filming scrapbook soup, there were geese on the roof and you could hear them. And so I remember Kathy's husband had to climb a ladder and go on the roof of the studio and chase the geese away, which we were pretty sure someone was going to die and it wasn't going to be the geese. But luckily, everybody was fine. Wasn't there a time when you were completely and totally sick the entire week? Yeah, I've had to film sick more than once. It's just the nature of, you know, being travel weary and all that kind of stuff. And I think the the fact is a there are two things that really help which is i learned from hsn if you take a boiling cup of water and you drop two really strong like halls um throat lozenges in it and then you shotgun it right before you go on camera no matter how bad your throat feels it coats it enough that you can make it through the 12 minutes or whatever of the filming to the next moment and i think like anything when you feel ill you really need to take care of yourself. Now, one of the things that I have learned, which has been really hard for me on filming Scrapbook Soup, is on camera, I need to have tons of energy and be completely alive. And then when people have questions or issues in the green room, I need to be able to help them and deal with it. But I also need some selfish time to myself or I am wasted by the end of the week. But it's really hard to tell people who've come there and who are nervous and excited, I need... 20 minutes to myself, please don't talk to me. So I've had to learn how to like, you know, sneak out of the building, stand outside in the parking lot in the sun for five minutes just to like breathe and not have to like smile at anyone and just, you know, come back so that I can be a good host and I can be a good friend and I can, you know, do all those things I need to do. I would say in that sense, listen, I never understand diva behavior. I think it's insane when people have like weird rules about don't look me in the eye and don't whatever. Like that stuff's just crazy. But I do understand the theory of like you need a trailer. You need somewhere comfy and nice. You need somewhere that, you know, you can come back to yourself so that you can do better work, you know. So, uh, of course, I don't have a trailer or anything. I sit in a big room with everybody else. But, you know, I do try to take you know, a walk around the parking lot, a, cause it's in a big industrial park, this place. So it's not like there's anywhere real to go, but just, you know, somewhere that I can come back to me. Talk about food. Oh, so uh, ever. So it, I, okay. So I used to love doing any kind of filming because there's often food and snacks around it. And in fact, at the studio, they serve you breakfast and lunch and there's lots of snacks. Now, the crew, as I mentioned, is mostly men. I think there's maybe one or two women on the crew. So the, it tends to be chips and meat this and pizza and all that kind of stuff. You know, dude food. There's not a lot of like little lady salads kind of stuff. Um, but they do they do a good job. They make an effort to put out some fruit and some uh, vegetables and stuff like that. But ever since I started doing Weight Watchers, I really noticed how much the food is around because, like, I love it that they're coming around offering you ice cream. But I also realized that that's dangerous because um, I once was told that a sheep can't tell when it's full and it will eat until its stomach explodes. So if... Uh, if it, you know, it can't eat enough grass to get to that point, but let's say it gets into dog food or something, it will literally kill itself by eating until its stomach explodes. And sometimes I think I might be a sheep. So it's very hard for me to say no to all the food that's around. But that's something I've had to learn to do is to be like, you know, just because there constantly are little treats around doesn't mean you need to eat all that chocolate, all those chips, all that meat and 12 sandwiches and blah, 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 that kind of stuff. So, let's, you know, it's yeah, part and so parcel of it. Let's talk about the really important stuff now. What yeah. you wear and makeup. Ah, what you wear in makeup. Okay, so um, Kathy sends out a little pamphlet to all the guests that goes through what to wear. And she always says, um, things that don't look great on camera are all white, all black, all red, or very vibrating patterns. Things that tend to read better are solid colors. Um, and then our set is hot pink, like hot pink. Um, so if you wear 
too close a color, then it becomes a green screen. And, you know, you want to wear something that contrasts nicely with it. And then there's the old thing about nobody's arms look good on TV. It's part of the reason I swear to you actors are so thin because nobody's arms look good on TV. So you always want to wear a three-quarter sleeve at least or something else. Um, And then also something I've learned over time is something more body conscious without being too tight but just that shows that you have a shape of a human being tends to look better than something like that's more loose like a caftan is never going to read as well as like a well-fit button-down shirt the other thing is because you want the show to be timeless we often tell people try not to wear something that's too on trend try to wear something that's more classic and it does make me think of Martha Stewart who I think does this so well you know she's a thousand blue button-down shirts or whatever it and it is it's timeless you can watch when she was doing something in 1996 and it it doesn't seem out of date in any way because her hair her clothes it's all the same so we have a makeup artist who comes and who does everybody's makeup in the morning and you do your own hair and uh you know, Karen is very nice. She's worked with Kathy for a thousand years. And the biggest makeup thing that I've learned is bring eyelashes because they look ridiculous in person, but they look totally normal. They just make you look like you have pretty eyes when you're on screen. So uh, in the last year or two, maybe I have learned to bring my eyelashes with me and it makes a big difference. And manicures. Yes, manicure. So you always have to get a manicure before. And generally speaking, um, anything that's not like a normal plain color is fairly distracting because people are staring at your hands. So usually the advice is to get clear or a light pink or something very classic, a French manicure, something like that. If you've got like all rhinestones on your hands and stuff or little sharp, weird things or drawings, it tends to combat. Or if you have particularly terrible and ugly nails, it's also, of course, a problem because people are staring at your hands. So what do you pack? What don't I pack? Um, so I usually pack uh, two to three on-camera outfits so that Kathy can evaluate them and see what she thinks. When I first started doing the show, the hosts changed. They changed I, I don't even know how many times. They were in a different outfit for every episode, and I just it blew my mind. So I said to Kathy when I came on as one of the hosts, I said, I don't want to do any of the changing anymore. I think it's stupid. Nobody looks what we're wearing anyway, and it's confusing. They would have to take Polaroids of us so we could figure out what we were wearing. You have to make sure you're wearing the same jewelry, the same you – know, and I, I was just like, why? Nobody care, Nobody's looking at me. They're looking at the project. What does it matter? So um, Kathy was okay with it, and that's where the scrapbook soup aprons came from because it was like, let's just wear a basic outfit that nobody will even look at. It's an apron, and it's a shirt, and who cares about the rest of it? And that has made a huge difference not having to change constantly and remember where things are because, again, nobody's looking at me. So I bring that. Uh, I bring some clothes for, you know, walking around, hanging out. I bring all my projects and step outs. And then I have a uh, sort of big container, which I call useful things. So there is a day usually in the filming. Like if we film Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then we usually have Thursday off and then we film again on Friday. And usually on the useful day, there are projects that come in, like I said, without step outs or uh, a guest is sick and can't make it or there's some problem or something came in really short or whatever it is and Thursday is a insane sweatshop day in which I will make things and I will you know uh, desperately try to make pretty projects and to make things happen and so I bring a what are useful things so often it's photos because obviously it's a scrapbook show if I want to make scrapbook pages so I bring various sizes orientations shapes topic subjects um some of my favorite tools or pattern papers or whatever although I really do try to use the sponsor product that's sitting there at the studio um and then your usual kit of stuff that you like to have like I like to have my paintbrushes I like to have a set of watercolors I use the Sakura um koi watercolors which is great because that just means that I can turn anything any color that I want a little bring a little bit of gesso you know just the usual sort of useful things that a girl needs when she's making stuff okay so talk a little about your concept of the show and how it has changed over the last few seasons 
Well, I mean, I think the idea that I even have a concept of the show is something that's changed because, again, when I first came in as starry-eyed, know-nothing girl, I-, I was just excited to even get near a TV camera. And then over time, as I've become more integral to the show, I- I've also gotten more control over it. And I think I said this earlier, and this is really important to me, I want to educate and empower people. I want somebody who happens across the show, who's not a scrapbooker, to be entertained. There's another E, so we just call it the E's, educate, entertain, and empower. Um, To be entertained so that it's a fun show, so that you're enjoying yourself, so that you see crafting as fun. And I want them to be tempted. I want them to say, you know what, I feel like I could do that. Or, you know what, that looks exciting to me. I mean, one of the things about the scan and cut that is so exciting to me, I will say, is that I often find that when I demo it, even the male crew who are so bored and not interested most of the time will be like, that was really cool. You know, because tools are kind of cool. And what it can do is kind of amazing when you see it. So I think, you know, I really want the show to have that entertainment value where people who have never done it are get, get excited and entertained by it. And also, let's say in a family, and I'm going to be totally sexist now, let's say that the mom is a scrapbooker and she watches the show. I want her to be able to watch it with her kids for them to be interested and for her husband not to hate his life that he has to watch it too. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so everybody can watch it together. Um, and then I want people who are scrapbookers and creators and crafters and artists to watch it and to feel like they're seeing new stuff, not the same old recycled content. They're seeing new ideas. They're feeling, again, educated, that they're feeling that there's something, that they're feeling inspired by what they're seeing, okay? But then I also, I want people who are knowledgeable to be on the show so that I can say to you, hey, why did you use that kind of ink? And they can say to me, oh, well, dye-based ink is going to be, you know, it's going to run when you add water, whereas a permanent ink is not. And so that's why I'm using a permanent ink because I'm about to go over it. Now, that seems like a simple idea, but a lot of people don't know the difference between inks. And so they need to hear that so that they can understand why to choose certain products. Or even, I love it when people give design tips. Why did you put this red piece of paper here? Oh, because I'm trying to pick up the red here. I'm using the rule of three or whatever it is. Because again, it's the education and empowerment. And I do think it's that old thing that I always um, subscribe to, which is you can give a man a fish or you can teach a man to fish, right? And so give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. I'm always trying to teach a man to fish because I can show you how to do a project step-by-step and you can make the exact same project as me, but that's really boring. I think what you want to do is you want to say, okay, I'm going to show you how to make a project. I'm going to tell you why I made the choices you made, I made, you know, and now you get to make different choices, but inspired by the choices I made so that it's you, so that you walk out with something that's very you. I always say when I teach I say, I never want to see anybody walk out with anything that looks like me. They should walk out of class with something that looks like them. And I think the same thing is true when they watch Scrapbook Soup, which is I don't want people to walk away with scrapbook pages that look identical to mine. I want people to be inspired and empowered. So inspired by my art and empowered by the information that I'm giving them to feel like they can make something that is inspired by it, but not identical to it so that it's their own. And it really comes into their own um, genre of stuff. For me, it's the difference between If I go into the kitchen, I can cook from a recipe and I will have something that comes out like the recipe. I'm a very good recipe follower. I've never followed a recipe and had to be a disaster, okay? Um, But I also want to be able to go into the kitchen and like see the ingredients and be able to throw together something or be able to improve or change this part. That takes time and practice, but it also takes knowledge. Like what does tarragon do to the flavor? What does, you know, and that's the same thing as true. Like what does yellow do to the composition? What does asymmetry do to it? So that again, you're doing knowledge. It's just like not everybody likes tarragon, not everybody likes yellow and that's fine. You just have to know it. Okay, well, let's talk to you again in a couple of weeks on the same podcast when you've come back from doing this show and we'll hear how it went. Let's do that. And by the way, as a side note, I find it hilarious. We were worried whether we'd have enough to talk about for a podcast. And I'll just say it's been more than 40 minutes that we've been talking about this. So I guess we had enough, Mom. Well, you always want to talk. (laughs) (laughs) You did keep asking questions. I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay, okay. Let's talk about it in a couple weeks when I come back from filming and see how it all went. Good. See you then. Okay.
Bye. Bye. Hey there. So this is the second half of our podcast recorded on May 16th, 2015. Hey, Mom, how are you? I've been sitting here waiting by the computer for days. For the last few weeks, just (laughs) wondering what was going to happen. Well, that sounds very sad and lonely. Now you got it. Exactly. Well, I have not been waiting. I, in fact, got back from filming in Cleveland yesterday, last night, and now I'm I'm all ready to talk about it. Okay, so we all want to know everything. So why well, don't you everything. start at the beginning? Okay, so uh, I basically, our schedule this season was, was really nice and, um, well, it was nicely scheduled, I'd say. And what I mean by that is sometimes when you're filming, filming is a very intense experience. And I was, of course, reminded by it that even if I'm wearing sneakers, even if I'm standing, they put behind the table for me one of those like pampered chef sort of um, rubber mats so you don't get too tired standing. But still, you know, after day, after hours and hours, you do lose energy, your feet do hurt, like all, it's actually physically taxing, which seems crazy, but it's a lot of energy you're spending when you're on TV, because the TV uh, or video version of myself, it's me, but it's like a more energetic version it's of myself, like, I guess. It's like the aerobics instructor has to dance at a higher level than anyone in the class. Yeah, so, and it's also, I think you have to really think on your feet, So you have to really like have those sharp mental ability to like immediately change something if something's not working out or, and because you're talking and doing at the same time, your brain is actually really kicking. And in a weird way, your brain working is physically exhausting. And and now that I've said that, I actually think it's not that weird because they've shown that when you're starving, one of the things that your body does is start to shut down your brain functions as a way of saving energy because your brain takes up a lot of energy. Um, So anyway, so all of that is to say that the schedule was nicely put together this time. So I came in Sunday night and because I came in late Sunday night, there wasn't really time to do any of the prep out stuff that you have to do at the studio to prepare the segments. So Monday morning, I came into the studio and we had one guest on Monday morning, May Flom, and uh, we had our makeup done that morning and then we sort of set up what needed to be set up had lunch and then we went and filmed in the afternoon so it was a half day which was quite nice um tuesday and wednesday were loaded with guests and and when i say it's a full day what that means is i'm usually in the makeup chair by 7 30 so i get to the studio around maybe 7 15 and i'm not a morning person in case you were wondering uh and usually the thing that happens i'm not actually much of a coffee drinker I, i've only started drinking coffee in the last year or two but nowadays when i walk into the studio, the first thing that happens is Kathy's husband, Tim, uh, hands me a cup of coffee and says, it's going to be okay. (laughs) Um, So at 7.30, I'm in makeup and it depends on the day. I think on Tuesday, we probably wrapped at like six and there's maybe half an hour or something of cleanup, et cetera. On Wednesday, it was a bit later. We probably wrapped around like 7, 7.30. So that's almost 12 hours just on set, which is a lot of time to be sort of active and peppy. So, uh, and then Thursday was a working day while they were recording some industrial videos, but I had to come and work, which I will talk about in depth a little bit about what that means exactly. And then Friday was another half day for me of filming. So the Thursday rest day was really important because I feel like I got my brain back. Because again, you can imagine you're sleep deprived because not only are you at the studio really early, but um, there isn't a lot of time for me to do stuff in between takes because because I'm the solo host of the show, I'm in every single segment, so I really have to be on set at all times, which means that I uh, don't have time to catch up on like the regular work I need to do, so I usually have to leave the studio. And also, of course, people want to be social when they're there. It's a lot of people who I never get to see in my real life. So there's dinner and chatting and all that kind of stuff, and so it, they can be late nights as well. So having just that little bump of getting to sleep a little bit later, I think I slept like a whole hour later, made a big a big difference to me. So that was really good. Um, so that's sort of how the schedule was. Um, mom, help me out here. Help me streamline okay, my thoughts. Where so can I backtrack to? Why don't you talk about uh, the different guests? Okay. So it was really interesting. We only had two repeat guests, I believe, this season. So when you're a repeat guest, 
the thing is, you know the how it works. Now, even if you've done video or TV work before, everybody works slightly differently. So it's always good if you've been there before, you know the setup, you know exactly how these people in particular like to work. So our repeat guests were Mae Flom and Joe Rotella. And again, both of them sort of get the setup, get the whole step-out system, understand exactly where the cameras are, understand the rhythm of the studio, that kind of stuff. So that made them um, able to move a little bit faster. Although I will say this, Joe, because he's a man, no, because he's a super cool crafter, had all these really interesting, huge tools um, from his company, Proxon. And when I say huge tools, they're huge for craft world. But what Proxon specializes in, which I love, is they make mini tools so like uh it's a table saw but it's only you know it's not like a, a table it's only like a two-foot table saw or it's a drill press but it's like an apartment sized drill press and the reason that proxon makes those tools is because they cater to hobby crafters like people who build ships in a building etc who don't need ships like in a bottle a f- what did i say ships in a bottle in a ship oh, i assume the ships are in the <laughs> bottle in the building <laughs> I think ships can be in a bottle anywhere. You can have ships in a bottle in a barn. There you go. Um, But anyway, so they specialize in that stuff. And if you're doing that, you don't need like a table-sized jigsaw. You want a petite jigsaw. So, but it's actually perfect for crafters. I also was started to covet some of the machines because as an apartment dweller, I thought, man, I could actually fit a table saw in my apartment. It's so small. So they were big for crafty standards, but by real tool standards, they were small. But it was interesting to see the whole setup, obviously, for those tools. And then Joe had me use, there's this hot wire cutter, which never in my life have I thought, I, oh, I, you know what I need today is a hot wire cutter. After using it, I was like, I need this. I don't know what I would do with it, but I need it in my life. And what it does is it cuts through styrofoam like a knife through butter, as they say, and um, which was really super cool. And I suddenly thought of all these millions and millions of styrofoam crafts to make. But then the safety thing that's really neat is after you turn it off, if you count to two, the wire, which is like 4,000 degrees or something, I'm, I'm probably making that up. It's probably like 400. I don't know. It's very hot. Don't touch it. You'll burn yourself. But that's how it cuts through the styrofoam. Um, it actually, it's completely cool to the touch. So that's a cool safety. And then Joe told me something, which is I said, will the hot wire cutter cut a, a carving block? Because one of the things about stamp carving is you're always having to cut down your blocks, right? Right. And he said he tried, he bought some rubber and he tried it on the uh, wire cutter and it didn't work, which makes sense actually to me because it would have to melt that really thick rubber. However, he did say that he has one of the little mini jigsaws that I mentioned at home and that does work. Uh So now, I know, now I'm in big trouble because now on my wish list is I need a mini jigsaw so I can cut my my carving blocks with that instead of a utility knife. One of the dangers, of course, of the guests coming on is they make some really cool stuff and they use really cool tools. And I end up wanting it all after doing the show because I'm like, oh, my God, I need that now that I see what it does. Define need. I know. Well, see, one of the things that I think is really important and the reason that like demo TV or DIY TV or whatever you want to call it, I think is important is because, listen, like paper, stamps, whatever, you can sort of get from a blog post or still pictures what it's going to do. But with tools of all kinds, I think you need to see them in action to get it. I mean, that's why people do infomercials and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Is because... When you see a tool in action, it's so different. I know I found that when demonstrating the scan and cut is that when people sort of don't get it and then they see it or they try it and they go, oh, no, this is coming home with me. Okay. So let's see. So those were our repeat guests. And, oh, this is my favorite May story. So I issued May Flom a, a, a crafty challenge or I texted her maybe two weeks before the show and I said, Uh, I need a favor. Feel free to say no, but I'm looking for a segment about using a sewing machine without thread. What do you think? And all she texted back, and this is why I love May Flom, was challenge accepted, (laughs) which I thought was an intrepid way to go after it. And she did a fantastic job and came up with an idea that I think is really great and smart and all that kind of important stuff. So that was exciting to me because I wasn't sure what she was going to do. But she really, she did something not only that I think is a technique that lots of people will like. And I'm purposely not giving it away because you have to watch the show. And if you 
can't see the show uh, in your local PBS area, remember, you can catch it online. You can, uh, for free, you can buy DVDs, etc. You can download May's project sheet from the website once the new episodes air. But this is a tease because it's a good idea. Uh, but anyway, but it's in her style. And that's one of the things that I loved about this season. And I will talk more about the other guests is that I felt like people, ha- everybody who came had a very clear style. And so they were creating projects within their own style. And that is always exciting to me because I always feel like scrapbooking and crafting and all that kind of stuff is really about turning out stuff that looks like you. It's the imperfections that are you. Um, I was listening to a podcast on the airplane ride home. And one of the things they were talking about, and I'm going to butcher what this is, is that I believe Native American artists put in something called a spirit line or something like that into their art, which is a purposeful imperfection so that they can continue to work on it, continue to get better. And it gives them a way to sort of, you know, not get trapped in the art. And I love that idea. And I always have of imperfection in your art and making sure people know this wasn't manufactured. This is homemade. It didn't come off an assembly line. I made it. And so it was nice to see all those sort of different styles represented. Okay. Other so. Yes. Other guests. So uh, Christine Drumheller, who owns Coco Daisy, came. And she has a very soft and feminine style. And what was really interesting is she did a lot of pages. She has two sons. Um, A lot of boy pages that had sparkle and glitter and had, like, that soft, shabby, chic style. And that was really, really fun to see. Um, And Ashley Horton came, who is on the design team for American Crafts. And she owns an Etsy shop called The Cut Shop. And I had never met her before. She is a hoot. She's got a fabulous Southern accent that I kept wanting to, um, I wanted to talk like her. I find a Southern accent incredibly seductive. But then I was like, I think it sounds like I'm mocking her and I'm not. Because I just, I love the way a Southern accent sounds. There's something about it that's very attractive to me. And she was just sweet and funny. And she was fantastic on camera. And it was funny because she was nervous. And I was like, you're a natural Um, And so she did a whole bunch of um, cutting segments with the scan and cut. And it was fantastic to see what she was doing with the scan and cut in her style, which is so different from mine. And I loved every idea she came up with. Really fantastic, innovative ways of using die cuts that isn't just here slap, or I guess they're not die cuts, but using electronic cuts that isn't just here slap it on a page. Um, And then Cheryl Boglioli came, who has been a guest on this podcast before. Um, and actually I think Christine has been a guest on the podcast before too. And May has been a guest. Gosh, I guess there are, there are a bunch of people have been guests and on Joe the podcast. And Joe Rotella has been And a Joe Rotella has been. Okay, well now we know. I pick favorites. And you know what? I'll probably ask Ashley to come on. So that's going to be a full circle. Um, so Cheryl Boglioli came on and she did a whole series of segments that were basically like artsy made easy is sort of what I pitched them to her as. Which were techniques about just easy ways to add artsy things into your layout. So, for example, one of them was a segment where we did quick backgrounds. And we did like six techniques, you know, for creating backgrounds. And it was just like boom, boom, boom. But the thing that's really interesting to me, which nobody knows except for you now, is that Cheryl has been on the road, which we talked about in the podcast with her in her um, glamper, Glinda teaching and doing whatever and when I invited her to be on the show she was in the middle of her teaching trip so she had to create all the projects for the show and all the step outs and everything else based on the supplies and the things she had and she was carrying with her in the camper sort of between stops and as she was doing stuff which was a major challenge and I got several texts from her along the way that were like this would really be easier if I were home in my own studio but what she came up with I think is kind of brilliant because what she proved is you don't need a lot of supplies you don't need a lot of stuff to really sort of explore and push at some mixed media ideas some um just fun ways of using what you have. And and over the segments that she had over the season, and there are six of them, I think she used a lot of the same supplies but mixed them different ways. And I don't know, that was exciting to me too, sort of an idea of reuse, recycle, keep things, um, keep things going, for lack of a better word. Then um, Joanne Fink was a guest, and she is a calligrapher. And Sakura of America um, uses her a lot, and that's actually how I know Joanne. She uh, is the author of several books, including the very popular Zenspirations 
series. She's a uh, doodler and zentangler and all that kind of stuff. So she did two segments on a sort of easy lettering ideas. Of course, she says, write with your natural handwriting, and hers is calligraphic and beautiful. But I really liked the technique she did with some metallic jelly roll blending. I thought that was really cool. And our final guest was Amy Tangerine. Well, actually, her name is Amy Tan, but you know her brand is Amy Tangerine. And, you know, I had never spent any time with Amy really before. We'd always said hi and knew who each other were. Um, But it was great to sort of talk to her and get her perspective on things. She's a very smart, very kind person. And uh, I really liked her. And I really liked the segments that she did. She really has an amazing way of taking crazy disparate elements and bringing them together. And I said to her on camera in the least insulting way possible, I said, you know, I would look at these puffy stickers and be like, these are ugly. I'm not buying them. But you make them look sort of elegant and fun and fantastic. And that is like scrapbooking alchemy to me. It's magical. So all of her segments really, you can see how she takes these crazy disparate elements and makes them look amazing. So I want to steal some of her embellishment techniques because... They're awesome. So that's sort of a roundup of who came. We had, um, I have some new product that I'm kind of in love with. We had a new sponsor who I had never seen before um, called Plus, which is actually a stationary supply company out of Japan, but they have an American division and and, uh, they have these stamp rollers, which for all you art journalers out there, they have oil-based inks. And so an oil-based ink does two really cool things, which is one, It uh, does dry permanent, which is very important when you're using stamps. But two, it resists water-based media on top. So if you watercolor on top of it, it resists it very strongly, which is really a cool look. Because, of course, water and oil don't mix, as we know. And the other thing is the stamp roller. Obviously, you can roll across your whole journal layout, and it's just like one long stamped image. I mean, obviously, because it's office supply, there are some limitations. It's The only color is black, but hey, as they said, I'll wear another color than black when they invent something darker. And how often do I stamp in a color other than black anyway? Um, and, you know, it's a limited palette of patterns at this time. But I really liked those, and I, I, I won't lie. I said to the very nice woman from Plus, I said, may I may I take these samples, <laughs> these stamp roller samples home with me? And she said, yes, you may. And I thought, score. There's some perks to being the host. I think there are. Well, let's talk about when you watch the show, you're not aware of just how many people it takes behind the scenes, the crew, the people in the sound room, the makeup person. I mean, just everybody. Why don't you talk a bit about the people don't appear on camera but who are important to the show okay so in the booth we have uh usually four people kathy the producer um we have the director and the assistant director and we have the sound engineer so those are the four people in the booth then uh on set there's um patsy on the prompter there's uh an overhead camera guy tom who actually comes in from I think Milwaukee to Cleveland for these shoots because overhead camera is actually an unbelievably difficult thing to do well. Mm. And Tom does not only does he drive it well, meaning like just is capable of handling the overhead camera, but he also gets craft and so is able to um, understand where the next movement is. And what I mean by that is when I go to HSN, I will, I always project what I'm going to do. Like I'll say, Let's take a look at the layout on the lower left corner, and I point. Now, that's a call-out to the overhead camera guy to know that he needs to move over there, right? And then I'll start to talk about it, assuming that the camera has made it over there by that point, right? So my experience is that when I say it on set at Scrapbook Soup and Tom is on the camera, like, the camera's there, no problem. I barely have to think about it. Like, I barely finish the call-out before the camera's there. My experience at HSN has been, like, 10 seconds after that, the camera's still not there, you know? So an overhead camera operator makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Then there are two um, two regular camera operators, and we had a crew that changed out over the week, so there were actually three different guys who kind of rotated through those two positions. And one of them acts as a floor director, um, just meaning like he gives the countdown and does the direct communication with the talent, as they say. Um, and then out... 
of the room are our stage mothers, are the amazing ladies who make sure that lunch is there, who take care of your problems. You can just say, uh, am I changing for this segment? Or they carry the trays with the projects out for you. They're just the most amazing people. They iron your clothes. I mean, it's like, and they have endless patience. So I, Catherine and Lynn are fantastic, amazing. They really make the shoot run smoothly. So that's a lot of people. And actually, they consider that a pretty skeleton crew. There is also an editor at the studio who's usually working on something that was shot earlier, not actively working on what was shot right at that moment. Um, and then Karen, who does the makeup, comes in for just part of the day to do the makeup. She's not there on set the whole time. I think that's everyone. That's impressive. It is. And you know, the most impressive part is everyone is so nice. And I think that's the thing that I love about working out for KS Productions is that um, Kathy has really, she's been doing this for so long. And she really, now that she has her own studio, because she was a, a leaser or a renter for years, but she has her own studio space now, she has put together a wonderful crew of people who are not only are good at what they do, but are like, unbelievably nice I mean super midwestern nice I mean just kind and lovely and generous and helpful and you never have to if you say I'm looking for 12 people want to help you find it which is fantastic and amazing and could they all come and live with me and help me please not in that small apartment <laughs> I know I know right awkward awkward so that's sort of the unseen crew okay so now that you are back, there are still people working on the film, right? Yeah, they're definitely still, they're, the editor's working on it. They still have to put on all, the obviously, the titles, the music, the um, transitions all have to be done. Um, you know, they need to figure out whether this best shot was taken, that best shot. Then there's other stuff that's just like the business of the show. You have to reach out to all the different PBS station managers. You have to package things up. You There's all sorts of still photography that has to go out to the sponsors so that they see how their projects are being used. The project sheets, that the PDF download project sheets that go up on the website have to be created. And um, the whole website has to be redone in time for the season, but everything airs this fall. And so they have basically the summer to get that done. The DVDs have to be made. You know, it's, it's a lot of stuff that still has to be done. That's really, it's daunting. It is. It is daunting. I mean, I think um, it's like people always say, you know, who've never done any video work. And I mean, even when I record videos, you you never realize how much time you actually have to spend, even on a silly YouTube video, doing the editing, the post-production stuff, the setting up the space to do it. The, I mean, it, it's all of that stuff is a lot of work. And I give full kudos to people who do it all the time. Are there a couple of things that you know now that you didn't know when you first began filming this show a few years ago? Little tips and uh, yes. tricks. Tips and tricks. So here's here's one of my big tips. Um, in life, I I am an active listener. I'm also an interrupter, but I'm an active listener. And an active listening, when somebody speaks, you go, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh. If you do that stuff on TV, you look like a jerk. Because you just look like you're interrupting the person continuously. So I've learned to shut my mouth and smile and nod. Um, another thing is, again, most of us look grumpy when we have our natural laxed faces. I don't know why that is, but people perceive you as grumpy. So when you're on camera, you just have to smile a lot just to look like you are not in a bad mood. Ah. I know. So I do that a lot, too. Um, but more than anything, I think I've learned... I talk too fast, which I do on this podcast all the time, too, because 99% of the time, if there's a problem, like with a promo piece or something that I'm doing, um, Kathy, the producer, will say to me, okay, let's all breathe and slow down because I want to talk like the Micro Machine Man, like this speed. And she says, no, we need to talk so that people can hear it and process it. So when she says, let's all, she really means you. Yes, when she says let's all. The other thing that I've gotten much better at is I'm much more capable of listening to the person talking in my ear while speaking to the guest and not getting mixed up in terms of like who I'm listening to and what I'm doing, a kind of multitasking, if you believe multitasking is possible. Hmm. You know, when I said I would promise that I would say what that Thursday working day is. Yes. 
So I just wanted to explain that. So um, it depends on season to season what's happening. But usually there are some projects for the show where we like to wrap up what you've seen in the season. So there'll be a segment or some in the past we've sometimes done 13 segments that were like this, which nearly killed me. But uh, where we take things, leftover bits and ideas from segments earlier in the show and then show you how to pull them together into a different kind of project. And the benefit of that idea, of course, is telling people that just because you saw this used one way doesn't mean you can't use it in other six ways, right? And I'm a big fan of teaching people that they can use the same thing sort of over and over and over again. So the Thursday working day is, it's kind of like a crafting day. I come in and I take whatever leftovers we've asked the guests to leave and I have a little crafty sweatshop and start making things. And every year I'm shocked at how long it takes me to make things. And I don't know if it's because I'm outside of my studio or what it is, but I always seem to be working to the, uh, to the deadline, sort of hastily crafting away, or if I'm taking too long to make decisions because I know it's going on TV, and so instead of creating just for me, I'm trying to make something cool or impressive, or I don't know what it is, but, so it's a working day, certainly, it's not like it's a terrible working day, I mean, I'm crafting, but um, there is some pressure there. So I always pack some extra supplies with me. And I've over the years, I've pared down what I bring because I know the kind of key go-to elements that I always need. And for me, I think it's different for everyone. But for me, to create some scrapbook pages, uh, foam adhesive is like the biggest thing that I must have. Um, after that, different colors of cardstock. They usually have pattern paper at the studio, so I don't bring it. Um, I don't need scissors or trimmer because they have that stuff there. I bring some photos, though they do have a photo printer there should I end up in trouble and need to print something on the go. Um, and then they have pens and paints and stuff, so I don't need to bring any of that stuff. So then I might bring occasionally like a couple cute little embellishments or something like that. But also the other thing I found is with the scanning cut there at the studio, I don't ever need to bring alphabet stickers or embellishments really because I can just cut it, which makes it super duper duper easy. And then the other thing is just physically, don't you find just like someone who's in a Broadway show eight times a week, you have to really watch your health. Yeah, there was one night that I had food poisoning, and I came into the studio, and everyone said to me, oh, gosh, you look really tired. And I thought, ha, 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 that's going to be a bad day because I had only gotten about three hours of sleep because I had been up through the night having lots of fun in my hotel room. So, you know, you just – I did what I had to do. I drank a 1,000 bottles of water. I threw some, you know – yogurt with live acidophilus culture into my stomach. I ate a banana and I smiled until the smile was real. You know, as they say, you got to fake it till you make it. Well, I can't wait to see this season because I know that you are actually particularly excited about it. I am. I think this season is crammed full of content. And, you know, one of the things I said to Kathy, the producer, when we were done, is I said, you know, we didn't have as much time this season to talk about people's projects. I think that's because we had, we packed each segment with so much more content that it took time to do all the things. And I think for me, when I watch how-to videos on YouTube or how-to TV, that's what I want. I want it to be packed with content that I need to rewind or I need to buy the DVD to get, you know? So I'm excited about it. Okay. Well, next time you film, I have to come. I, I did go in the past because I'm the only one who takes a million pictures of you. I didn't feel like I received enough photo documentation from this particular trip. Oh, Mom. Okay. Well, by the way, you've actually never come to a scrapbook soup filming. You've only ever come to a quilting arts filming, and that must have been like seven or eight years ago. How can I Very remember? It's so ago. long ago. I know. Anyway, so this is season five, which I'm super excited about. And thank you for being such a good host today, Mom. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for sharing. There you go. You couldn't have stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> so as always, you can find me at ballsdesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at ballsdesigns.com backslash arting. 
We'd love to hear from you. If you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag poundartingpodcast, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. 